Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the South Lawn of the White House, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 188. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Greg. This is Dawn. This Week in History. August 28, 1917. Woodrow Wilson was picketed by suffragists outside the White House. The suffragists were demanding Wilson support an amendment to the Constitution guaranteeing women the right to vote. Although Wilson had paid lip service to suffragists during campaign races, he was only lukewarm to the idea after the election, despite being a former teacher at a women's college and having two daughters who both were suffragettes. That was a really close election, by the way. Election of twenty six or of uh, nineteen sixteen. How close? Oh, absolutely. It was um, yeah. two hundred and seventy seven electoral votes to two hundred fifty four. Um, Woodrow was uh, competing against Charles Hughes, mm-hmm. who had stepped down from the Supreme Court in order to run for the presidency. Wow! In a mostly Republican country at that time, too. I mean, it was actually kind of a su- uh, surprise at the time that Wilson won. Charles Hughes, by the way, is uh, Scott number 1195. <laughs> On this day, however, the suffragist, who Wilson tipped his hat to as he left the White House, had become increasingly disruptive and even started carrying signs protesting World War I. This led to a clash with some angered spectators, and many of the women were arrested and jailed. Some of the women that were arrested started a hunger strike and had to be force-fed by their captors. Wilson, distraught by the hunger strikes, ultimately agreed to an amendment in 1918, and two years later, the 19th Amendment was passed by Congress giving women the right to vote. And this uh, this hunger strike was a big, big, big news thing. This wasn't just like some... This was like Gandhi-level hunger strike. Uh, How long did they last? How long did they, uh, they last? Oh, it, it was short, too. It's like, you know, they didn't eat for like four days or something like that. It, but it got so much press at the time. That, that is was weird. the biggie. That's weird because I just just recently saw a thing on how long it takes your body to what you go through in starvation. And four days is not enough oh, to really do damage. Not even close. Yep. And also, they didn't force feed them. But they just they berated them basically. They throw food at them. And Four stuff days like is nothing. That. Yeah, but yeah, you got to be approaching two weeks where it's uh, irreversible. Yeah. So on August 26, nineteen twenty, the nineteenth amendment to the Constitution was passed by Congress, and on this same day in nineteen seventy one, Congress by joint resolution declared August twenty sixth to be Women's Equality Day. It's a lot of women stuff happening in late August. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's fall. Fall's coming around the corner. Nothing else is going on in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for a football season to start. May as well start a women's <laughs> suffrage program. That's just that well, time of the month. <laughs> well, if we're talking women, Scott. we're waiting for... That, yeah, you I know, Scott. <laughs> yeah, cut that out. I'm actually amazed that women didn't have the right to vote from the inception of this country. They did. It, ju- it just wasn't throughout the entire country. Ah, okay. There and were states that allowed it and then states that right. didn't. It just makes sense. And they had based on land. freedom, based on this, you would think everybody was equal in the U.S. from the very no. beginning. And they had their own land, right? No, that was that was before the land Constitution. Land ownership allowed you to vote, right? Right. That's, that's been land ownership was early on. That's, However, that's like the feudal system. You yeah. Know? yeah. Mm-hmm. However, uh, that didn't last very long. But you look at the uh, right, it accumulates voter wealth turnout. With the wealthy, right? Yeah, it, you look at the voter turnout for like George Washington, and he he got like no votes, <laughs> but he got all of the, the little votes, votes there that were. were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> allowing only the rich to vote—that's not a good system. No. The women's rights movement has its roots all the way back to 1840, when women were denied access to the convention floor of the London World Anti-Slavery Convention. In time, this led to the first Women's Rights Convention held in Seneca Falls, New York, which drew 200 women and presented 12 resolutions that women should be equal in status to men socially, economically, legally, and representatively. 
All but the ninth resolution was passed unanimously. The ninth resolution, which stated that it is the duty of the women of this country to secure themselves their sacred right to the elective franchise, was of concern as many thought it would cause a large number of their backers to withdraw their support. Yeah, at this time, the politics of women, it it was seen that women were above politics. It was a dirty sort of scummy job. And so, it still is. Well, yeah. But now women are involved in it. Back then, women were responsible for the important stuff like raising families and stuff like that. And men would go to the bars and get drunk and do politics and stuff. Politics back then was seen as a very minor thing that goes on, but also they didn't have nearly the power that they have today. The Ninth Amendment, after much deliberation and the support of abolitionist Frederick Douglass, was eventually passed. There are many stamps throughout the world celebrating both women's equality and the right to vote, some of which are U.S. 1970 Celebrate the Century Sheet, Women's Rights Scott Number 3189J, U.S. 1920s Celebrate the Century Sheet, 19th Amendment, Scott Number 3184E, 1995 32 Cent Commemorative, Scott Number 2980, called the women's suffrage issue, but does not mention the terms and is a truly awful stamp. Yeah, that stamp, by, by the way, suffrage, we had to look this one up to see where the word came from. And uh, it's actually Latin for suffragium. And what did it mean? It meant... Uh, to vote in public. Yeah, to public vote. What we don't know is where the word vote came from. Yes. Well, I know mm-hmm. vota was Roman. But, oh well. U.S. Susan B. Anthony Suffrage for Women, Scott Number 784. U.S. Alice Paul Suffragist, Scott Number 2943. New Zealand Universal Suffrage, Scott Number 412. Ireland votes for women and women's equality, Scott number thirty. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I have. I have a <laughs> good call. No, I. <laughs> that's yeah. because that's because I have a. Uh, I have a 2012 set at home, and I went to look it up, and I couldn't find the number and didn't get a chance to when I got here. Mm. Yeah, it says no. XXX. That's why we're all laughing. That is fun. Is there a Scott's number six six six? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a little devil. On what that. is number 666? It's a stamp. Yeah. Oh, see, that's a great stamp collection. There's an unlucky number in every culture. So yeah. figure out the cultures, get that unlucky number of that stamp issued. There you go. Whole collection. That'd be cool. That would be. Yeah. Well, he's 13 here in the U.S. Yeah. When I was doing uh, Disney pins, I was collecting Friday the 13th pins. See, there you go. That's cool. Because, well, my birthday's on the 13th, so. Ah, Damn Night Templars U- were... U.S. Scott number 666 is the 8-cent Kansas overprint. That was... Ah. Bureau oh, yeah. Evil. Oh, that's right. I should have known that. Duh. Pure evil. Yeah. Pure evil. Bloody Kansas. <laughs> that would be a neat collection, though, wouldn't it? It's also the key stamp to the set. Yes, it is. it is. I wonder if that's because people want stamp number 666. Hmm. Hmm. Conspiracy theory here. Uh, my stamp collection is going to be every prime number. <laughs> so like he's not invited to a lot of the shows. <laughs> that, that's a pretty arbitrary. Uh, yep, because the catalog numbering system is not necessarily chronological, right? So just or logical. Just give me prime. I'm good. That's it. I collect stamps by thickness. <laughs> is that the thickness of your wallet? That's so funny. It does have these awesome collections. How's it going, Bear? Don't call me that. Sorry, uh, uh, Mr. Bear? No, I I mean, I'm not a bear. I hate bears. Well, gee, eh? You're one big beaver. (laughs) What is that from? What was that about? (laughs) Well, Well, we're going to do an update on the Canada e-commerce competition. Yeah. So, Cash, take it away. So, we had some Canadian moose. Oh, yeah. It was either Fargo or Canada, (laughs) eh? All right. Can, uh, so following up on Canada Post e-commerce, the uh, Innovation Awards, the Canada Post e-commerce Innovation Awards recognize Canadian companies that are disruptive, innovative, passionate, and brave. Now, 
I have no clue how you're disruptive. Well, disruptive in a, a from a business standpoint is not a bad thing. You're disrupting an industry, a market. You are uh, changing people's ideas. Oh, so like it's uh, a positive. It's not derogatory. It's ne- oh, it's so like uh, when nine eleven disrupted the airline industry. Well, that's no, not that's quite a negative. The proper usage. Oh, oh but, sorry, sorry. sorry. Uh, say a tech. Or, uh, how you about, could say a tech company is disrupting the Uber is disrupting the taxi or the the uh, personal conveyance industry or stamp or grading have disrupted it. Or stamp grading disrupted the stamp collecting hobby. Yes, it actually probably did. Mm-hmm. It's usually a positive term now when referred to like this. Whether you are just starting out or a well-established company, we are looking for retailers that are pushing the boundaries of e-commerce landscape. If you are one of the companies, this is your chance to be part of something big, says the Canadian Post. Hey. Wait, Canadian Post is just a newspaper? No, Canada, no, that's Post, Canada Post is their post, post office. US, ah. their, that's their USPS. I know a postal guy up there. That's just crazy. like uh, is he disruptive? No, but he could win. But he can go on strike. It's awesome. He probably delivers the mail by moose. Is he brave? <laughs> he tells me oh. there the Canadian system is absolutely crazy. That it might get there. Is he passionate? <laughs> is he passionate? <laughs> yes, is he, he is. passionate and brave? <laughs> well, in the wintertime, he probably rides a moose. <laughs> well, they're called meese. That would be one. Inno- that would one. be innovative. I thought it was mice's. No, it's meese. Sure. <laughs> The award-given retailers, big and small, the opportunity to stand out and showcase their unique business. Game-changing prizes can help your business move to another level. Up to $100,000 in, I assume that's Canadian dollars. That's about 17 bucks, U.S. Yeah. (laughs) In parcel shipping, not parcel, parcel, parcel shipping credits, not partial shipping credits. Parcel A. Parcel. Up to 50000 Canadian, which is... Uh, $220. Something like that. In Canadian <laughs> Post, smart mail marketing packages and marketing opportunities on the Can- Canada Post fleet. So that means so get advertising the on the size of their, <laughs> that, side of their trucks? No, no, they have no, no, one no. truck. Yeah, it, no, they, that's their they ship. They refer to it as truck. a fleet. No, it's, it's a one fleet. Truck. It's a fleet. They're talking about their ships. No, it's one truck. It's a fleet. It's boats. Well, it's, it's Canada. It's a truck. No, I'm kidding. The, the Canadian Navy is going to uh, carry uh, <laughs> eBay on the big eBay sign on the side of all their carriers. My why, dad was why, a, in why the Canadian Air Force. Why don't they just refer to it as a herd? We all know they're moose. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad was in the Canadian Air Force, and the joke was he flew one of the planes. <laughs> and he's like, I, I'm not sure who flies the other one, but I fly one of them. <laughs> I remember seeing it was a while back, and there was this... Um, Fake headline and it says uh, Canada warship stranded. Hey, wait! Canada has a warship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. They're a great country and they're all beautiful and they're all in Hollywood, and it's amazing. But I heard the best joke about Canada. You want to hear? Yes. I, I'm paraphrase. You know we so, have Canadian listeners. Oh, I'm my entire He's family is Canadian. I am the only Yankee. I was born in California, and they all hate and love me. Because I'm like, yeah, damn Canadians. But then I go and live there for six months because they're all so fun. But, uh, yeah, the most beautiful girls in the world. The funny, the, So comedian's like, he's like, oh, you know, so Canada, America, we walk up to the, we walk up to the border, knock on the door. Oh, hello. Hey, he's like, get out. <laughs> you know, they can't do anything. <laughs> Just kick them out, take over the country. So they're really nice to us. <laughs> so What's that all about? How you doing? What's up? He's like, yeah, yeah, get out. Well, so I, if you're disruptive, if you're passionately disruptive, is this any company? Any company can apply for this award? Yeah. Yes. Well, we actually this is a thing I found uh, last week, and we found I found a post for the finalists for this year. Yeah. And oh, did you get I the said, names? I said because no, there's a there's a boatload of categories, and yeah. I didn't want to list them all, but you can go to Canada Post website and find it. I just want to see the brave ones. Well, yeah. yeah. How's the company brave? In sept- no, 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 no. In it's September? not the company. They are promoting the Disney movie. Ah, okay. Yeah. No, that's stupid. That's <laughs> wrong, wrong country. Yeah. That was Scotland, not Canada. So can oh, a non-Canadian damn. company apply? No. Yeah. If, you, if uh, you have a store in Canada. Well, well, one of the fi- like one of the big re- one of the big retailers um, categories. I think Best Buy was one of the finalists. Well, but uh, Greg, think about it. If you're not in Canada, 
and you win, you know, the $712 of uh, shipping credit, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> well, Ship yourself to Canada. I, this is, I once bought a car with a bunch of loonies. So I had oh. I had loonies and toonies, just freaking three hundred some odd dollars worth of these damn things. I'm like, they're awesome, huge ass coins. If you've ever been to Canada, so the two dollar and one dollar, it's coin. It's so annoying. Your pocket full of silver or actually bronze. I don't know what the hell it is. Half bronze, half yeah, silver. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, like they're just slugged. great. They got a little uh, duck on them, <laughs> a goose, whatever. A loon. So so I had like three. That's why they call them loonies. Is that it? So I had like three hundred of these damn things, and uh, somebody had a car, and I'm like. You know, I need a car to get across the border, so I gave him 300 loonies and <laughs> drove across the border. It was wonderful. I think I left it in a parking lot somewhere. Ah. Yeah, it's just wonderful stories. Canada, great people. You're brave. Yeah, I've been all the way to the Yukon. I've been all over Canada. You should apply. Oh, well, I, well, I was director of a corporation there, but it's been dissolved, so nothing I can do now. I Was uh, Was it an innovative dissolved? I- yeah, it was, was it passionate? Uh, it was a farm. It got disrupted. It was an incorporated farm. Cash is getting disruptive. <laughs> Cash is disruptive. It was a really innovative farm. Yeah, I think we grew soybean. Maybe I went on a fishing trip up in Canada. Oh, nice! Actually, took like fourteen plane flights and then had to take a taxi to a lake and flew out of a Cessna, taking off on a lake and landing on a lake off on an island. Oh, that sounds fun. It was awesome. I have no idea where I was. We were in the middle of somewhere. I was on the Alaskan Highway driving for hours and hours and hours trying to follow that pull-off. And it's, it's really kind of uh, daunting when you come over the crest of a, a mountain and you look down the way and you see this little tiny line going off into the horizon. And then you see a little V in the top of the next mountain and you realize that's your road that you're on. And you've just seen like a hundred miles into your future, and there's nothing between you and that little V on the top of the mountain in the far off distance. And the sun's of, going down, and you're tired. Whole lot of trees. Oh no, and they're all runty little trees. The further north you get, I got to the Arctic Circle. Oh my goodness, Canada. You sound very passionate. Well, there's parts of Canada that are awesome. You should don't eat the. You should apply. You should apply for the. Contest. I've lived there. Have any of you guys ever lived in Canada? It's a different world. Nope, it's not cool. lived. Yeah, it's neat. I'm going to wait for it to become a state. <laughs> no, they would never. God, no. <laughs> no. You know, they burned down our capital once. Don't, yeah, don't piss them off. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm passionate about this next story. Uh, well, why don't you read it, Mark? Be brave. Yes. The U.S. postal worker failed to deliver mail. No. A Fairhope, Alabama postal carrier pleaded guilty last week in federal court for not delivering the mail. According to the court documents filed last Monday, the carrier was hired in March 2017 for a rural mail route. In September, the carrier's wife called the authorities, stating that she believed her husband had undelivered mail in his truck. According to a plea agreement, the carrier was interviewed by postal officials and admitted he did not want to be fired for poor performance, so he kept the undelivered mail in his truck. He had planned to deliver the backlog, which he said started accumulating between August and September, at night, but had other better things yeah. to do. No, he had planned to deliver the backlog, which he said started accumulating between August and September at night, but had fallen too far behind. A search of his truck yielded 1,582 pieces of mail, which had been turned over to the postal service for delivery. The man faces up to six months in jail and a ten thousand dollar fine. Right, because it's fed. Well, it's, is that U.S.? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was federal. Yeah, Alabama. Federal, right? It's almost U.S. Well, as a person who sells on eBay, there's no less punishment deserved (laughs) jail time. (laughs) Was this Newman? Didn't they have a uh, Seinfeld on this, where Newman put a bunch of mail into his apartment to (laughs) deliver later? That sounds awesome. (laughs) Sounds like something Seinfeld would do. (laughs) I love Newman. 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 (laughs) So we were going to discuss Frank's this week. Scott, what's a Frank? Uh, Frank is a guy that you meet down at the pub and you have him buy you a beer. I wish. No, oh, wait. no, no, no. A Frank or Franking. We're in Las Vegas. A Frank or a Franking is a mark or notation on the face of an envelope that indicates that either the postage was paid or that the letter is to be carried and delivered for free. Free Franking was mostly used by early postmasters, presidents, and others serving in government. Uh, but is now more common for members of the military in armed conflict. And that started in World War II, I believe. Or was it World War I? 
That was World War One. No, I think. Well, I, I know that in World War One they had franking, but I'm not sure if it was free franking. Well, I know during the Civil War, like General Lee and, and well, yeah, and but we're, we're but talking about like the, the privates, but, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, for just general military service, and right. and I recall using that in uh, in the Gulf War when I was over there. How would it work? Um, what would you do? Uh, you just write free instead of putting a stamp on it. And as long as the postmark is from a military unit in the area of conflict, huh. then it uh, goes three, free through the mail. Cool. And so I got a whole stack of stuff, letters that I wrote to my wife that are free-franked. Um, that's, that's a commonly collected thing for mail, World War II, Vietnam, and uh, Gulf War, Korean War. Uh, let's see. So how do you soak the frankings off to put them in your album? Um, With scissors. Yes. <laughs> there are many different types of franking from early notations on covers stating that the postage was paid, i.e. the postmaster just wrote paid on it, to most commonly now stamps. So a stamp is also considered a franking. Aside from stamps, there is metered mail, uh, official mail, which uses stamps or imprints, and business reply mail, which a lot of times will use a, an imprint, uh, well, something printed right on the envelope. All the stuff you find stuffed into magazines. Oh, business yeah. reply mail, no postage necessary. That's still considered a franking. Any idea why they call it franking? As opposed no. to earnest? That's a good question. <laughs> that I do not know. Frankly, sir. Cash, why do they call it a franking? Yeah, f- but why, Cash? First guy to do its name. Okay. Because it started in France, and the French unit of currency is a franc? I Could don't be, know. Yeah. Yep. Hold on, hold on. Here you go. It's Latin francus, although we don't know exactly how Latin is ever pr- <laughs> pronounced because all the Latins are dead. Yep. But francus means free and another uh, word, frankly, meant freely. Well, there you have it. Pretty on the nose. So, franking started with free. free. So, it should have always been free. Frankus. That's cool. And if it's not recognized, it's an FNR. FNR. So, don't put poster stamps on your envelopes. Well, this week we're going to talk about the president seeking changes to the international postal rate system. Really? Yes. This is Donald, not Woodrow, right? Yes. Yeah, current president. That's funny. When you're talking about stamps, yeah, you definitely need to. (laughs) What error we're discussing. Yes, this is. uh, This is current news. Yeah, this is actually happening. Is that why you had that little little news uh, intro thing? Yes. Nice. We're going to get political here. Nah. No, it's not really. no, this isn't really political. Um, it's stamps. President, That's what I said. <laughs> President Trump, following complaints from manufacturers about shipments from China, stated that the United States needs to seek changes to the international postal rate system to ensure, quote, fair and non-discriminatory rates for goods that promote promotes unrestricted and undistorted competition. The President has issued an order to the United States Postmaster General and the Secretaries of Treasury, State, and Homeland Security calling for a modernization of the monetary reimbursement model for the delivery of goods through the international postal system. The complaints from manufacturers states that Chinese counterfeiters are taking advantage of the below-cost terminal dues used to deliver small packages under 4.4 pounds. It seems like a very distinct weight. I mean, not four point, not four and a half, 4.4 pounds. I think it's arbitrary. Somebody just throws some dice. Okay, the 4.4. Or does that equal an exact amount of ounces? No. Uh, that would be, uh, convert that into metric. Oh, maybe. It yeah. would be 68 oh. ounces. Yeah, it's probably a number of grams uh, or something. Like metric, yeah. 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 Would that be two kilograms? I don't know. Kilograms, 2.2 pounds? Uh, you guys got computers. <laughs> I'm trying to read here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me try some. Oh, oh, Greg's going to do it. I'll keep going. No, but this is neat. Listen. Hey, Google. Convert 4.4 pounds to kilograms. 
All right, you can cut that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think what it is is 4.4 pounds is the average weight of a Newfoundland, Newfoundland puppy. Oh. And that's what they base it on. Actually, they're, they're super I, cute. I think it's historical more than that. The textile industry really developed in China. And as they were shipping tube socks overseas, I knew they that got was going to tube standard, socks. <laughs> the standard 4.4 pound package of tube socks. Is that why there's only 12 and not thir- or 13 socks, not That's 14? It. That's it. I always wondered. Well, the rates for these payments, which are set by the UPU or Universal Postage Union, it's two kilogram. are allowing Chinese e commerce to companies to deliver packages of cheap imitation goods at a lower at a cost lower than domestic shipping rates which uh, Bloomberg government actually reported on back in April it is 2 kilograms by the way scott just looked it up i just uh, looked it up yeah it's yay see i knew everybody had a computer yep if negotiations at the upcoming upu summit next month in ethiopia we're, we're okay Fails to produce satisfactory changes, the president stated that the United States will, quote, consider taking any appropriate actions to ensure that rates for the delivery of inbound foreign packages satisfy those criteria consistent with applicable law. Who so sets are they getting up a, a cheaper summit rate? in Ethiopia? Well, that's why I was like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Is it uh, well, you know, they have a, to have a preferential rate coming into the U.S.? Is no, no, no. It's just incredibly cheap. And I know this when I buy it's stuff. It's not preferential, like good. No. It's a cheap coming from Canada right. here. Or, I'm sorry, or, Canada. Yeah. Coming from China to here. Yes. Okay. I go on Amazon or eBay and I'll buy something and it'll be just like a wrench or something like under that. Under 4.4. Uh, under 4.4, under 2 kilograms. 2 kilograms. And uh, it'll come and it's shipped from China. Two and I look and it's cool. like 64 cents. For us to mail something from here to China, just a letter is a buck twenty. Well, but they can mail a wrench to me for sixty-four cents. How does that work? When it hits but our border, we still it transport it. So wrench? why would it be so cheap? Two well, people that's... talking at the same time. When it hits our border, it takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> still, two people talking at the same time. You go, Don. Okay. Yeah. Anytime I've had to order anything from China, it usually takes like a month to get here. Oh, it's no, on no. a boat. Well, yeah, but no, uh, I, I don't see it taking a month, but it definitely takes like a week, oh, a week. No, I've seen, I've seen a month yeah. and longer. So it t- yeah, it's on a longer. boat. Yeah, it's it's ferried here. But so here's what I don't get. When it hits our borders, it's still entering our system. Mm-hmm. So we're not being reimbursed for tri- uh, for delivering that. Well, that's the whole and point. That, and that's the point so of this, this whole is, thing. This yeah. is, no, no, no. This is true. We, we may very well get all 64 cents and that's the still Chinese not post charges zero. It's still not enough. Yeah, for a four-pound right. package. Yeah, yeah, you are right. correct. Shipping a four-pound package here in the United States that has to go priority. You can't go first-class package, so that's going to cost you even on a fixed rate. You're looking at 10, 10, 12 bucks. Well, unless right. it's something so, really small. Yeah. Well, let me let me continue. Priority, yeah, maybe at least eight bucks. The order calls for terminal dues rates that fully reimburse the U.S. Postal Service for costs to the same extent as domestic rates for comparable services. Good. Yeah. Avoid preference for inbound foreign small packages containing goods that favors foreign mailers over domestic mailers, and avoid preference for inbound foreign small packages containing goods that favors postal operators over private sector entities providing transportation services. Yeah, that's losing the postal system serv- or service money delivering that package. What if it lands in Long well, Beach no. and is delivered to damn New York? I-, I don't think that's what they're complaining about. I think that the post office isn't the problem. I think the thing is, is that local p- if i sell a wrench to you i charge 5 bucks it's plus still, 2 dollars shipping still, it does they charge to, 5 bucks plus 0 right but it still has to be the problem otherwise the us postal service wouldn't charge you 5 bucks to ship it well the there's prob- a fee that's involved for shipping they've they've determined that well the problem that package is going for less the problem is the the upu the universal postal union is the governing body that has set these rates and these rates were set 100 years ago i yeah, know it's outrageous yeah and and so yeah, well, we know nothing's changed in the last hundred years, and things have gotten much more interesting and difficult, and some are easier, some are more difficult. And economics has changed over a hundred years. So, yeah, absolutely, these things should be revised. Yeah, the minute it's Long Beach, if it's going to New York, it should be the same rate as I shipping it from Long Beach to New York. Yes, yeah, and exactly. It's not. Yep. Yeah, okay. I was jerks. I always wondered how they got it so cheap. Yeah. Now you know. 
Well, the president says he wants to hear from administration officials no later than November 1st on the steps being taken to implement the goals. If it is determined that sufficient progress is not being achieved, he asked for suggestions, quote, for future action, including the possibility of adopting self-declared rates, according to a memo. Postal rate wars. Well, right. no, but the whole thing is... <laughs> the great postal wars. We lost a lot of good here's, men. Here's the question. <laughs> Just Do as long as we don't lose a lot of good mail. <laughs> yeah, we lost a lot of oh. good mail. That's great. That's, that's great. I like that. <laughs> Doing like that, that tough voice. The yeah, but the, but the whole question is, do you want to support domestic producers or do you want to buy stuff that's cheaper? Do you want to spend less money or support domestic producers? Well, level playing field. I wouldn't even say level playing There's field. There's no the such thing as postal, level playing The board. postal system charges a rate that they've determined makes them money. Right. Ships up from Long Beach, biggest port. Or uh, at least covers their cost. Right. From Long Beach to anywhere in the United States or from New York. Right. So the same rate would apply to anything inbound. Yeah, it's just but business. What, but what it does is it... Screw the politics. That's business. Right, right, exactly. I do not fault the post office with this. Post office is probably... Well, that's, they're probably and that's why manufacturers are the ones that are complaining Those about are this. Those are the ones that are yeah, complaining, yeah. Because they had an advantage. Yeah, because, like I said, if you have a person in Minnesota who has to charge $3 more because he has to pay postage, they, they both sell their items for exactly the same cost. But one costs $3 to ship, and the other one costs $0.64 to ship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hands down. You want to hear a crazy advantage I have with Amazon? Kind of not postage, but it's very similar. (laughs) I'm a programmer. And I found a loophole in their XML document how to publish something to their marketplace. I was able to highlight with any color I wanted, pass a little bit of HTML. They, They caught me eventually. But pass a little HTML so that I could highlight and bold the description part, and I colored it the same Amazon color yellow. My sales of comics went through the roof because it looked like, oh, well, this guy's, you know, something special. And about one year later, when they finally caught that loophole, and it was a really weird one, my sales plummeted anything. I closed the account. So, right, uh, finding those advantages, right, yeah. you're going to bitch and complain about it, but they obviously have a, yeah. uh, an advantage there, shipping to be nothing. Oh, yeah. I've noticed that, too. I bought, I bought uh, tech from China. I wouldn't do it again. It's all crap. But the shipping is amazing. Well, I play... Uh Warhammer, 40K, actually, yeah, but yeah. Warhammer. And, uh, Is that stuff made in China? No, but uh, it's made in Britain. But I needed a uh, little, like, cutter, a little, like, scissors to cut it. Yeah. It's, and, uh, it's like pewter, right? Well, no, it's plastic, but you need to get a really fine cut on it. Oh, okay. And so I went on, and, you know, one of these little cutting tools was two bucks. <laughs> and I ordered it, and it came from China. And I go, you would figure, how do they make a profit on that? Yeah, exactly. I'm making 17 cents on this? What is this? Yeah. Right. Or nothing. I mean, if I mailed this... You'd make nothing, right? I would, make, I would give it all to the post office. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the UPU, which was established in 1874 and is the world's second oldest treaty organization, is responsible for setting terminal dues. Robert Taub, chairman of the Postal Regulatory Commission, which oversees the U.S. Postal Service told Bloomberg government earlier this year that the problems with the terminal due structure were well known to regulators and have been festering for decades. According to Taub, the system worked well when international mail was mostly flat letters and is only now gaining attention because of the rise of e-commerce. Rise? Oh my God, it's been dominant since the early, late 90s. Yeah. But what I would like to see is the number. (laughs) How much well, money will this bring in? But here, but here you go. Regulators did not catch on to the problem until the 1990s <laughs> when the commission began reporting the costs incurred along with rates charged by the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, the Republican Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana said that he has been working with the administration for months, quote, because American companies are being run out of business by foreign competitors making cheap knockoff products they can ship to Louisiana for less than it costs an American company to mail the genuine product. And I disagree with that because it doesn't have to do with fake versus genuine. Sure, it could be exactly just, the same product. It's exactly the same. It's like, you know, like my little cutting tool. Have you been to Asia? Yeah. Thailand? Singapore? No, I've been... It's uh, all knockoffs. They take the exact same thing, they reproduce it there, and sell it as a genuine article. Yeah, but like I said, you know, a knockoff wrench. Yeah, I would say, ninety. The, the tech they take a wrench. I'm not kidding. I've yeah, seen this. They take an exact no, 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 but product. They slap it, some new label on it and sell it. 
and well, it's a, yeah, instead, instead of craftsmen, it they says craftsmen. And they, yeah. they didn't make it. They made the molds from a product they bought. No, they no, didn't no. develop the thing. Yes, like, but, okay, now sell it. But I don't see that. What oh, I, I see when I... Uh, well, yeah, but I don't buy that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, what you I, do. That you that came that from China, yeah. That, that clipper yeah, you yeah. bought was probably designed in the United States. <laughs> and yeah, then but it's a They cutter. stole it, and they sold <laughs> two million of them. Yeah. Well, you know, Dungeons & Dragons, I buy Dungeons... I play Dungeons & Dragons. Who doesn't? And you get the dice. And the dice all come from China. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, totally. And they're so incredibly cheap. Oh, yeah. But back in the day, they weren't. No. D&D, like in the late oh, 80s, or early D, 80s, a mid-80s. D20 would cost you a buck. Well, I was a kid. I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I still have some of the sets from back in the day. I just, I got rid of all my monster manuals uh, back in the 90s. Man, I still wish I had them. They're per- Fiend Folio was perfect, yeah. first edition. I had all these great things. I remember yeah, about so nine... Pissed. Nine months ago, they auctioned off a first, uh, the first three books. Yeah. Monster Manual 1, 2, yeah. Fiend Folio was like right. third or fourth. And it went for, I believe, $12,000. So, bitch, I probably had that damn thing. Yeah. My little scribble notes on the side. Well, since the article we just read does mention the UPU, it seems only fair that uh, we mentioned there are a lot of UPU stamps out there. UPU? Universal Postage Union. Oh, okay. um, issued by a lot of different countries. Um, Great Britain uh, has Scott numbers uh, 276 through 279. And, Scott, you said something about this being a... Omnibus. In 1949, the British Commonwealth issued an omnibus set, and a lot of the colonies issued sets uh, a set of four stamps. And it's all the same four designs. Right. And there were, I think there was one or two that only issued two out of the four stamps, but... Um, yeah, it, that's actually one of the earlier omnibus sets that the Commonwealth did. And uh, the U.S., of course, has airmail stamps, got numbers C-42 through C-44. And pretty much all of these that I found are all celebrating the 75-year anniversary of the UPU. Now, what does the UPU do? They govern postal rates around the world. Well, actually, they had a major impact. Like they can, they can tell well, the U.S. what no, the no, rates no. are? Prior, How does it work? Prior to was, 1874, individual countries negotiated postal rates. Between each other. Okay, between each I other. It. I get it. And then in 1874, no body, right. right. And then so in 1874, the UPU was formed. and Like a trade association. Right. And companies uh, or countries joined. And then so the UPU, they would meet and negotiate a standard rate between all member countries. Well, it's so if, it's more than that. So if you did so if you weren't a member slip through, were they not a member? No, no. But no. if you weren't a member then yeah. then those rates didn't necessarily apply to you until you joined the union. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and most the, countries are now member, but not all countries still. And they're probably still. better rates if you join. Uh, mm-hmm. The rates are probably better than if you negotiated yourself probably. Yeah. Well, it, it's actually more than that. And the reason why it occurred is because the uh, the rise of Germany in the center of Europe. You couldn't mail. Was that pre World War One or you know, the 1870s? Oh, yeah. okay. This was the formation of Germany, and you had uh, what they called Prussian closed mail, and everybody it kind of in stamp collecting Prussian, has heard right. Prussian closed yeah. mail. But basically, what it was is you had these mail systems that you couldn't mail letters to. And so they all got together because... Oh, I get a closed system. You couldn't... Okay, I get it. And the French didn't want to deal with the Germans. So you just simply couldn't Because they were at war. You yeah, know, they yeah. were cut off from each other. And then Britain and France didn't like Germany, so they wouldn't let ships <laughs> through. And so right. it was a total political mess. And this group got together and said, you know, we got to clean this up. We're going to make rules. You got to let the mail through. And everybody reluctantly said, okay, fine. And so they made these rules, which also standardized some of the fees and standardized the color, you know, so that uh, purple stamp meant that it was a domestic. So if this already exists, then how did this um, fandango with China occur? Well, I mean, the the UPU. They haven't changed the rates in 100 years? It's been a useless organization for 100 years. That's too bad. Well, not 100 years, but 50. It probably was good for the, the immediate. You know, during the war, after that, it just lost all its credit or it's all its well, power. Well, like, when you have a government organization that has people in cubicles who are getting a paycheck, they're going to find something. It to is do. government. You would think it oh, would yeah, be non-government is, if it represented extra, all the countries. Extra governmental, yeah. Extra yeah. Non-government. Well, like it, like it says, this was NGO. A, this was a. <laughs> 
this was uh, established when you know it was mailing mostly letters you know it's really the the thing that's been killing this now is commerce is the e-commerce yeah. and you right. know ordering packages and stuff well another th- another thing is you know in 1898 the UPU also standardized colors yeah you're saying that so that um, so everything so went like, purple so, so like an uh, a surface letter going on a surface ship overseas would be like a blue stamp so your rate to Europe was standardized. You knew if you saw a blue, if uh, a postal worker in, say, France saw a blue stamp on your le- incoming letter, he knew that it paid the proper rate. Yeah. Okay. For one ounce. Yeah. Yeah. The postal rates here have been kind of a roller coaster. Well, not a roller coaster. They're straight up. Yeah. They haven't been going down at all in the, since 2011 when I started shipping comics. Just straight up. Going up almost as fast as Disney tickets. No, it's uh, it's approaching the point to where it is actually. It's officially at the point. It's more to ship the comic and get it to them with postage and with the packaging than the cover price of the comic. It's official. You cannot get a comic to them cheaper than cover price for the shipping. So I it's two ninety nine yeah. cover, three ninety five shipping. Yep. And that's pretty good shipping if you were actual cost <coughs> the way I ship. Probably two ninety. To get, I mean, it's so damn close. It's almost cover price. It's crazy, right? And it's only getting worse. Oh yeah, it'll exceed it soon. Marvel's still three ninety nine standard cover, so you know they got about three months before <laughs> the rates hit there. Well, we do have some upcoming shows. Uh, the Arcadia Stamp Show is going to be September first. From 10 to 4 at the Arcadia Lodge on Duarte Avenue in Van Nuys. Hey, do these shows have different feels? Or are that they one's all just Arcadia. A, are they just a generic stamp show? Or do they have like Well, these, this, uh, that particular one's a one-day show. It's a monthly show. Well, the Arcadia show is in Arcadia, not in Van Nuys. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped down to the Van Nuys <laughs> stamp show. Sorry. Yes, you did. <laughs> Oops. My bad. So the Arcadia show, <laughs> September 1st from 10 to 4. We did this last week. We Oh, you were trying to figure out the date of the Las Vegas show. Is it the Arcadia Lodge on Duarte Avenue in Arcadia? The Van Nuys show is September 2nd from 9.30 to 4 at the Masonic Hall on Sherman Way in Van Nuys. What kind of show would that be? The other one was one day. This is a, it's a one day. That's also they're one all day. one day, once a month kind of things. Yeah, uh, those ones are. Yeah, the Van Nuys show, good friend of the show, Steve Patillo runs. Gives it. you a really good idea what kind of show it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, he runs. Well, he runs both of those. No, Arcadia. he doesn't run the Arcadia. How often? No, he doesn't. Nope. No. No. What does a one day show accomplish? It's a place for people to get together, talk, hang out, and yeah, buy some that's stamps. what I was thinking. It's a, uh, it's more of a meeting. It's yeah. kind of, it's more kind of like a club meeting type thing yeah. with dealers. Think about going to a bar, but instead of buying alcohol, you buy stamps. If you were getting into stamp collecting, what type of show would you go to uh, to introduce yourself to the collection? Like I could topless. tell you for comics, <laughs> what type of show you'd want to go to to ease yourself into it? Oh, topless. In stamps. Would you go to a one day show? Is your first time ever? Absolutely. Or would you go mm-hmm. any any well, show actually? Or any is, show. Is yeah. it really niche? Yeah. Would anybody talk to you, or is it better to go oh, to yeah. a larger show? In- incre- you see what I'm yeah. saying? Incredibly social. Everybody wants to talk about something. Mostly As ma- stamps. Yeah. I, well, we have got into some uh, some conversations, and we're talking about stuff, and somebody at the next table goes, "God damn it, they're talking about politics or something like that." It's like, well, so what's move. a longer, like a, a show that's three days or over the weekend, what's the different feel? What, you get how he- is that different? You get more heavy-duty stamp collectors. Okay. You get more technical talk. More, more national dealers will yeah. show up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, you're guys probably right. That travel. A, a local, a one day, a one-day show is usually going to, for the most part, be a lot of the local lot of guys. Yeah, local color. Yeah. All right. So if I was new, I go to a one-day show first. That I, would be an interesting that, way to make some friends. Especially if it's in your area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Well, the big one coming up, and think of that culture this stuff. is actually two weeks out, but I'm bringing it up today because it starts Thursday next week, which is uh, the day of with, that we're probably going to post next week's episode. But the Long Beach Expo is September 6th through 8th. Uh, it runs Thursday and Friday from 10 to 7 and Saturday from 10 to 5. Now, this is primarily a coin show and a card show. It's uh, run by Collector's Universe. Uh, but there also are some stamp dealers. Uh, this year, they're going to have the World Olympic Collectors Fair there. What's and, that mean? 
Uh, it's just going to be a big section of the show is going to be devoted to Olympics collectibles. Oh, okay. Um, they, they they do have a number of ephemera dealers there as well. Okay. I love that word. Well, this is going to be at the Long Beach Convention Center in Long Beach, California, in Hall A. And they, ha- they have a cool theme. Arr! Yeah, doing pirate stuff this year. What? I saw, I saw a... I went to college in Long Beach. I like Long Beach. I saw a video on this that made me that drove me to the Long Beach Expo's uh, website. If I were still living in California, I would absolutely take my kids to this show because they have so many youth activities going on, treasure hunts, and all sorts of things. That you, can, you can do I'm a treasure my kids absolutely. Are you, you talking about stamps absolutely. on ice? Great show. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they're they're gonna have they're gonna have like a treasure hunt, and some of the prizes for the treasure hunt are gonna be graded Pokemon cards. It's all piratey like theme. Yeah. When is yes. that show? Jake loves uh, pirates. The following, not this boy. weekend. It's next weekend. It's the sixth, seventh, and eighth. So it's a Thursday, four-hour drive. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Five hour. Yeah, no. I'm thinking San Diego. Well, probably horror. probably out I to Long go Beach. Like ninety eight miles. Yeah, an hour. and then to Long Beach, it's gonna be five. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then add three more hours for LA traffic, so it's gonna be eight. It depends on what time you get in. If you're smart, no, not anymore. What really? I've been in LA in a while. I went out there a couple it's not weeks. Dead at I went out there a couple weeks ago. No, it's not. No, it's awful. Twenty four seven now. It seems I used to be able to get from uh, Hollywood anywhere in uh, you know LA. To Huntington, back to Huntington, like forty minutes, but it has to be like three in the morning. Well, Don, you're mm-hmm. there. What does traffic yes. look like today? <clears throat> Give us a traffic report. You get a traffic report. Yeah, look outside. Um, How many license plates can you read? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right over yeah. the 405 freeway. Can you see how fast the cars are going? 405 is huge. Where, where, what part of the you, 405? Do you want me to do that? Like right now, I where can absolutely you? do that. What sure. City? Go, go peek out real quick. What city is she in? I'm yeah, in Fountain while, Valley. While Don's looking. Fountain Valley. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Well, that, Don's that's looking. Nice. Well, while Don's looking, should we talk about the new issues coming out? No. Yeah. No, I was going to say, uh, what do you think about the idea of combining shows like this, where you have a uh, a show that's like ephemera and a show that stamps? They do it all the time. I think it's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Comic Con is not just about comics. Yeah. No, I think God, this, is, this is an amazing thing. But oh well, you know, long, this is this is so is, geared. This is so geared yeah. towards towards coins and cards now. But you this know, thing is at few. the the show. So this this pirate thing where kids can the have pirate, activity. Yeah, the pirate thing. At the show. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, hold on. Yes. Here are the four big exhibits they have there. First of all, they have pirate sunken treasure where they show actual pieces of eight and stuff like that. Very awesome. And you're at a coin show, so if you actually wanted to buy a piece of pirate gold or silver, sorry, yeah, you could go one. to one of the dealers and buy one. Very cool. <laughs> the second one, they have tyrants of history. That is this stamp coin collection that's just inc- unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Uh, then, like uh, Roman coins with Caesar on it, things oh, like that. They're gonna have. They go, the, okay, uh, here I'm on their website real quick. They're going to have the World Olympic Collectors Fair. Yeah. They they're always have a non-coin thing. Smart. There. They're going to have <coughs> tyrants of the Tyrrhenian and Adriatic Seas coin collection. Mm-hmm. And they'll go all That's the way back specific. to like... Well, what they do is they define tyrants as like the kings and the... Adriatic Sea. Who, so, so what they, a joint... Or what oh, it's probably like... Up against the Adriatic it's probably sea. like Greece... It's probably uh, Greek uh, it's kings from Macedonia all the way up Adriana. to yesterday. I can't picture the Adriatic Sea for some reason. Next to Italy. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, here you go. Uh, it's the third in a series of Long Beach Expo exclusive exhibits from the Tyrant Collection, mm-hmm. the world's most valuable rare coin collection in private hands, will be on display at the September show. The Tyrants of the Tyrrhenian Adri- and Adriatic Seas exhibit will showcase more than 400 important historic coins of Italy and Sicily. Yeah. Mm. Last one, they had Tyrants of the Thames. Okay, I know where that is. And it, it, they always, it's the Tyrants of, and then they pick a river. Oh, that's neat. And so the river, that they Most, have... Yeah, major civilizations occurred r- on a river, right, near a river. So, so the, when the, they had the Tyrants of the Thames, they had from Ethelred all the way up these beautiful gold coins... All the way through the Viking periods, all the way through this, the uh, conquest, the the Civil War, all the way up to neat. Queen Victoria, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. I is mean, coin it was collecting just still incredible. a thing? Is that still a no, it's oh, huge? Huge. 
Well, they're also going to have the JNL collection of silver commemoratives, which is the number one finest set all time of silver commemorative coins. You know, it's just the stuff they have is just really cool. And the biggie that they have for the kids is they have a scavenger hunt. And it's a page, a piece of paper with about like 30 questions on it. And it's like, who was on, you know, the first stamp of the United States? And then you go, and then it says, go to booth number 147. And so you run over to booth 147, and they have a little piece of paper there, and it shows a yeah, picture of the my first My kid's stamp. too young for that, of course, unfortunately. How old is he? Five. Just turned six. Uh, my kid did it when he was about five or six. I don't think this will get Jake's attention. He's more like, you know, Roblox, Minecraft. Oh. Yeah, but if you took him to something so like that, he could win. Uh, he could do it and win Pokemon cards. Would yeah. he be into that? Because yeah, really. my daughter Aileen is nine, and she she's never Pokemon she's yet. never played Pokemon, but she loves the freaking cards. Oh, yeah, my she kids has a cute tons of cards. Right, yeah, my the, kids exactly the same. Pocket Monster, right? That's yeah. what it stands for. The cute yeah. little mm-hmm. cards. Oh, Dawn's back. How's the how's the traffic? Oh, I've been back. Well, traffic is flowing in both directions just fine, but it is 2 o'clock here, so I'd give it an hour. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of uh, major earthquakes on the Ring of Fire. You're due for a big earthquake there. Yeah, I know. They just had a 4.4. Oh, God, they, they've had so many earthquakes along the Ring of Fire now. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting dangerous. San Andreas is overdue, what, by 60 years now? <laughs> it's not At like, least. It's not good. Well, that's why we live in Nevada, because one of these days will be a coastal <laughs> beach city. Beachfront profit. <laughs> beachfront beach gambling. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, we do have a new, some new issues and uh, an update for the Hot Wheels cars. A stamp honoring John Lennon, the legendary singer and songwriter, will be the latest addition to the Music Icons stamps. The stamp features a photograph of John Lennon taken by famed music photographer Bob Gruen. The stamp pane of 16 resembles a 45 RPM record sleeve and features a picture of Lennon at his white piano on the back of the pane in a picture taken by Peter Fordham. What does that have to do with Hot Wheels? That'll be issued. I said in a Hot Wheels update. Oh, what's what's a Hot Wheels update? That'll Uh, be issued. That's next. That confused me. You didn't say when it was going to be issued. I wasn't done yet. The first day ceremony will be held at the Nomberg Bandshell in Central Park, New York at 11 o'clock Eastern Time, East 72nd and 5th Avenue. On what day? September 7th. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, did I miss September 7th? I yes, didn't read did. that in the title. Sorry. September 7th. Is this like when we went to go get those popsicle ones and they gave us little popsicles? Yes. So awesome. Something like that, yeah. Are they going to give free Hot Wheels away if you go to the Hot Wheels one? That would be so cool, I, but I don't I'd know. be there. Big time. Uh, it'll be in Texas. Damn it. Uh, so an update on the Hot Wheels stamps. The Hot Wheels stamps that we discussed in episode 187 will be released during the Good Guys 26 Summit Racing Lone Star Nationals on September 29th at the Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth, Texas. They're going to be released. Uh, the first day ceremony is going to be at 10 a.m. Central Time. Okay. And I have a newer pic. I have an, we'll have an updated picture of the Hot Wheels stamps. Are they cool? Um, they're very cool. Jake loved Hot Wheels. You know, every... Boy, loved Hot Wheels. That's neat. I'd like to get. Uh, like I, said, I mentioned last week in our our podcast, we had like uh, you you didn't listen to my last girls, week's podcast. I haven't had a chance to yet. <sighs> my girls have like, my girls have like fifty Hot Wheels themselves. Oh, I think I we love have Hot Wheels. close to five hundred, maybe. Yeah, I have so many. I want to construct something of them. <laughs> I'm thinking a coffee table made of, of them, like soldered together or something. Stacking them and putting resin over it or something. I'm gonna do something <laughs> weird. Something real weird. So cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Stamp Show Here Today, episode number 188. This was Tom. Cash. Scott. Mark. And Greg. And Don. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.